how many of you, this is not a, an attendance test, but how many of you were here last Sunday? Any, anybody? Some folks? Okay. Um, last Sunday was awesome. I wasn't here, but it was awesome. I, I saw it online. If you, haven't, if you haven't heard the sermons that Samoa and Zach preached, you should go online and listen to their sermons. It was awesome. In fact, I think I'm going to go on a three-week a three vacation. You guys just come. Just do some preaching. No. Um, it, it was amazing. Samoa preached. And I love what she said. She said every, she was preaching about Rahab. Every time she, she wrote Rahab into her computer, it tried to autocorrect it to rehab. Is that, you, yeah, because it didn't, it didn't know about Rahab. It just knew about rehab. And she said, you know, when a church is doing what God calls it to do, it is a place of rehab. It is a place where hearts are mended. It is a place where relationships are restored. It is a place where addictions and, and strongholds are broken. And it becomes that kind of a place. If you didn't watch that sermon, go on there. And then Zach Fay preached, and he preached about this time when he was, when he was a punter, when he was a, not a punter, field goal kicker uh, for his football team, a state championship. And he was called to, 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 to kick the final goal at the state championship for the win. And I can't tell you what happened. You have to go online and you have to watch it. But I will tell you this. At the end of the story, he needed his father's love. He needed somebody to wrap their arms around him and tell him that, that he was loved. And, 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 and we get to experience that in a place like this. We get to experience the love of the father coming around us and surrounding us and pulling us tight and loving us and giving us strength. Amen, somebody. So I just preached both of their sermons just now. Uh, but if you want to get the real thing, go online, check it out. This morning, I'm going to continue in our hero series. We've been studying different heroes of the faith uh, from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 and then different heroes from the Old Testament. And what we're, what we're, the, 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 the concept is that the scripture says that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews 12, it says we're surrounded by heroes of the faith. There, there are heroes of the faith all around us. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've already run their race. They've already, they've already fought their good, their good fight. And they're, they're, they're out there. They're, they're surrounding us like a great cloud of witnesses. And we're now called to run our race. We're called to fight our fight. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be amazing if they could come down out of the stands and if they could give us their input and their wisdom and their advice and their counsel? So that's been the premise of this series. So we've been looking at different different heroes of the faith, what would they tell us? What would they lead? How would they lead us? What would they talk us into? What kind of wisdom would they give us? And what would they impart to us? And today I'm going to spend a few minutes on three of my very favorite heroes of the faith. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't know this story, um, then I'll try to convey as much of it as I can during the sermon. But there's something powerful that we learn from their story that I believe will help each and every one of us, if we'll allow it to, to move into a deeper relationship with God. And when we move into a deeper relationship with God, we have a deeper understanding of God. It does something inside of us. It transforms something inside of us. Our, our, our attitude changes when we enter into a deeper relationship with God. Our outlook changes when we enter into a deeper relationship with God. When we begin to have a deeper understanding of the nature of our relationship with him, it changes us internally. And when it changes us internally, it begins to change us externally. We begin to act different. Right. When we when we when we have a deeper understanding of who God is in our life, does anybody need to act a little different at any point in their life? Or is everybody just walking righteous and holy straight up, straight down? You're not even you're not even going to you're not going to volunteer one way or the other on that. 
you're like, let's just see, let's just see where this goes, and then we'll, we'll amen him, maybe. Um, but, but, but what also happens then is after we have a, a change in our, a transformation in our understanding, a transformation in our heart, our attitude, our actions begin to change, and then the circumstances of our life begin to change. And I think God is calling each and every one of us into a deeper relationship with him, and the key to entering into the mystery of that relationship with him, I believe is unlocked in this passage of, of, of Daniel chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So how many want some kind of a breakthrough, some bit of transformation in your heart or life today, some, some step deeper into your relationship with God? Does anybody want that this morning? Presumably you are here because you do, right? And if you don't, you may get it anyway, all right? So thanks for coming. So I wanna start with Daniel chapter three, And I'm going to give you the context as we go. Um, The scripture in Daniel chapter 3 starts with a very ticked off king. The scripture says this. It says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me just pause and give you a little bit of context so you know what's happening. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not their real names. Those are Babylonian names. Nebuchadnezzar is a Babylonian name. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He was a real guy. He was, he was the most powerful human being on the planet about 2,600 years ago. His kingdom, he had beat the Egyptians. He had defeated the Assyrians. He had defeated the Israelites. His capital city, the city of Babylon, is the largest archaeological site in the Middle East today. This guy was, this guy was amazingly powerful. He was incredibly powerful, and he was really ticked off at our three heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, he, had, he was so mad that you're going to see what he's about to do, but, but he was mad because he was in a relationship with them. He was mad because he expected something different of them. You see, he's the one that gave them those names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been captured by Nebuchadnezzar in Israel, in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon. And then he had spent time training them and grooming them and, and, and educating them and developing them. Then he had given them jobs as advisors to him. Then he had promoted them to administrators over the, over the, the region of Babylon. So these guys knew each other well. These were not strangers. Nebuchadnezzar is furious with rage. So he has them summoned. These men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or you do not worship the image that I have set up for you? Let me pause just real quick here. I'm going to give you some, i got to lay some groundwork, but I need you to track with me at the beginning, okay? So, So he had just built a huge statue. It was, it was a huge idol. It was gold. It was overlaid in gold. It was about 90 feet tall. So it was at least twice, if not three times the size of this ceiling right here. And it was nine feet wide. It was this huge statue out on the plain of Dura. And the entire point of the statue, the entire point of the idol, was to commemorate, celebrate, and honor how amazing he was. That was the whole point. I'm going to build a statue because I'm the greatest guy on the planet, the most powerful person on the planet. I'm going to build a statue that just commemorates that. And what I want people to do is I want people to come and bow down to that statue because I want them to acknowledge how amazing I really am. That's, that's, that's the thumbnail version of what's happening here. He had hired a band. He had catered this event. He had dancers. They had a DJ. They had lights. They had it all happening. And he said, I want all of the region to come. And I want everybody, we're going to play some music. I just want everybody to bow down and acknowledge how great I am. And the reality is everybody 
did it. Everybody in the region did it, except for three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Three guys. Now, let me just say this. There were a lot of Israelites in Babylon at that time. There were a lot of Israelites in Babylon at that time. And they all bowed down, except for those three. Doesn't mean God stopped loving them. Doesn't mean God didn't want anything to do with them after that or he rejected them. It just means that the reason these are heroes of the faith is because they understood something about the nature of their relationship with their God that prevented them from bowing down to somebody who wasn't their God. Sometimes we have to, we have to take a stand every once in a while when we're faced with two competing ideologies or two competing laws or two competing ideas. You're going to bow to one or you're going to bow to another. And whoever you bow to is your God. Whoever you bow to is your Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being brought in. Now, he did not want it to be true that they didn't bow down. He had heard it through the grapevine that they didn't bow down, but he didn't want it to be true. Even though he asked them, he said, is it true that you did this? But he doesn't wait for them to answer. Here's what he does. Next line says, uh, next line, he says this. There it is. He says, now, he asks them a question, doesn't let them answer, starts to give them more instructions. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if... You are ready to fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. Somebody say if. If you do what I say, everything's going to be cool. That's what he says. If, if, here's the thing. He doesn't want to even know whether or not they bow down before. He just wants to clear the slate, give them another chance to bow down. He doesn't want to lose face. He doesn't want them to lose face, but he does need them to bow down to him now. He says, if you do it, everything else is, is fine. We're just going to wipe the slate clean. We're going to start all brand new. If you'll do it, we're good, but it's conditional. But if you do not worship it, he says, then you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? We just got a little bit of insight about Nebuchadnezzar. And basically he's saying, I'm greater than any God. What God can rescue you? If I throw you in the furnace, what God can rescue you? Right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with an impossible choice. Have, have you ever been faced with two possibilities, neither of which look very promising. Have you ever, some of you guys that are dating right now, you're, you're like, you're, you know, you're feeling that. But, but you, you're, you, you've got two choices. If you go this way, he says, I'm going to throw you into a, a fiery furnace, right? But they know that if they do bow down, then they have to violate their relationship with the king in order to pe appease a king. Are you tracking with me? So, so they don't have a good choice here. But here's the, what you do when, you, when you're facing with a, a very difficult decision. The first analysis you should do is not what are the likely results of this versus what are the likely results of this. In other words, don't analyze the consequences. The first question to ask is what's the right thing to do, right? Because that will actually clear out a lot of pathways for you. A lot of times you go, okay, well, I don't want to do that because it's embarrassing, awkward, uncomfortable, and, and frightening, and might even be to my detriment. But that's the right thing to do. So... I'm going to do that right thing. My, my boys, two of my boys were in an argument this week and they were having some kind of dispute downstairs. I was upstairs. And so I don't know what happened. I don't know who was right, who was wrong, who breached the, you know, the, the, the brotherly, you know, the fratra, fraternal, the fraternal bond. I don't know. I don't know who, who did what. So they came up and they both start telling me and, and each one's pointing the finger at the other. And so I asked them this question. I said, boys, do you guys know? And I was, I was genuinely asking. Do you guys know what the right thing to do is at this point? Because I don't, because I don't know who, who did what. But do you guys know what the right thing to do is? And they both went, yeah, we actually both know what, what's going on here. So I said, okay, go do the right thing. 
That was a good, that was a good parenting tip right there. And, and, and so they went downstairs and apparently they did the right thing because when I came down, it was all good. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to decide is not what is the easy thing, what's the convenient, what's the comfortable, what's the right thing to do? And they make that decision and they've actually already made that decision. And how do we know this? Because this is their response to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we actually don't need to talk about this with you any further. We're not even going to try to defend ourselves. We're not even going to try to justify or rationalize our decision. Okay, we've already made it. And, and, and here's why they say this. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, if you throw us into the fire, the God we serve is able to save us. Somebody say he's able. He's able to save us. And you know what? More than that, we believe that he will deliver us. Somebody say he will. He will deliver us. But then this is my favorite line. This is where we're going to focus. Okay. Next line. He says, but even if he does not, he can He will, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't get us out of the fiery furnace, even if he doesn't deliver us from your hand, even if he doesn't give us the relationship of our dreams, even if he doesn't give us the the college access that we desire, even if he doesn't work out the situation exactly as I would have done it, even if he doesn't bring us past the difficulty and the hardship, even if he doesn't calm the storm right when I want him to calm it, even if he doesn't do what I think he's supposed to do, I'm still going to follow him. I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to bow down to your gods, and I'm not going to worship the image of gold you have set up even I'm going to preach a sermon for just a few minutes called even if he doesn't even if he doesn't any bargain shoppers in the house today anybody like the bargain shop anybody I love bargain shopping you know those kinds of like places where you're supposed to haggle over the price of things that makes a lot of people nervous I actually love those places I just I just like it it's like a it's like a dance. You're like, you, you enter into it. If you, if you guys need, if somebody's buying a car and you want to haggle, just call me. I'll go with you and I'll, I'll just, I'll get you the best price. I love doing it. I really enjoy doing it. We were in Jerusalem, my, my wife and I, and we were in Israel and they have these, what they call a shofar, which is a ram's horn and you're supposed to blow it. And it, it's a, like a trumpet. And I wanted one of those to bring home to my kids. And so I'm, I go up to this guy and and I'll bring it in at some point. I'll play it for you. I'm practicing right now. I'm working on it. I'm trying to join the worship band. They don't want a shofar player. I don't even get it. So, but I go up to the guy and, and he's got the shofars and he's there in the, in the market in Jerusalem. And I say, how much for the shofar? And he says, uh, shofar is $40. Okay. So now I know that $40 is not how much that shofar costs. I know I'm not going to pay $40. But he doesn't know that I know that yet, right? We have to figure out if this is that kind of thing, right? So I figure, okay, what I'm going to do is we're going to get enter into a relationship here, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to counter offer. So I say, $40? Are you kidding me for a ram's horn? I mean, you know how many rams I've seen walking around the hills around here? I'll go get a ram right now for $40. I mean, I'll get the whole ram. You know, so like $40. I go, I'll give you five bucks for the ram's horn. Five bucks. That's what, that was my counter offer. Because I want to find out where are we really, you know? Are we at 39 or are we at 7? I got to figure it out. So five bucks I'll give you for the ram's horn. Well, then he, now he knows that I know that we're going to be doing this thing for a few minutes, right? He goes and gets some tea. We sit down on a carpet. You know, it's like, this is going to be a situation. So, so he, so I say five bucks. 
then he does this thing where you're supposed to do, where he gets really offended. He gets really offended. I mean, not really, but he acts like he's offended. And so he's just like, are you kidding me? Five dollars. And then he just kind of fumes and frets and his face gets red and he just kind of stomps and storms around. He goes, I wouldn't sell you this ram's horn for one dollar less than thirty dollars. I was like, okay, good. We got a little motion here. We got a little movement. And I go, okay, if you're going to pull the offended card, then I'm going to pull the offended card. So then I'm like, $30. Are you kidding me? I'm here on a spiritual pilgrimage and you're trying to rip me off. You're like, you know, (laughs) you're like the temple changers, the money changers in the temple. You know what Jesus did? He wove a rope with some whips. And anyway, I didn't get in theological with him, but, but anyway, I was like, I was like, I I wouldn't pay a dime more than $10 for that ram's horn, bud. So then, now now we're getting closer. So then he does this, and I love this move, because a lot lot of guys do this. He he starts to try a different tactic. He pulls me aside, and now we're friendly. And he goes like this. He goes, hey, man, listen, let me just tell you. Let me just be real with you. Don't tell anybody this, okay? But um, this is just between you and me. Friends. Friends, Bryce. He says, "Um, um, my boss, I mean, like, we cannot sell these for less than $20. Okay, but for $20, I can do it. I can do it. So I thought that was a pretty good tactic. So I'm gonna try my tactic, because I, I, I don't think we're there yet. So my tactic, I was like, I can't do $20. Thanks, nice talking to you. And I just walk away. Just walk, start walking away, right? And part of my strategy is, I know that there are like 100 other guys selling ram's horns, and I know that he knows that. So he knows that if I walk away, then at least I have a little better idea of how much, right? So that's my tactic. Sure enough, a few, like 30 seconds later, he's like, okay, okay, sir, come here. So he, he pulls me back in and he goes, I'll tell you what, 15 bucks, 15 bucks and we're done. And I go, $12, put it right there, buddy. Come on, let's do it. 12 bucks, I got my ram's horn. Shofar, 12 bucks. So if you're ever in Jerusalem, here's the deal. The, that relationship, there's a, there's a name for that relationship. It's a certain kind of relationship. It's called a contractual relationship. You and I are in contractual relationships with all kinds of people all the time. When you go in, the nature of a contractual relationship is I will give you something, you will give me something, but if you fail in your obligation to give me something, then I don't have to fulfill my obligation to give you something, right? So if you try to fish around and give me a smaller shofar than the one we bargained for, I don't have to give you my $12, right? But if I only pull out $10, you don't have to give me a shofar. The nature of the relationship is contingent. It's conditional. I have to fulfill my obligation in order for you to fulfill your obligation. If you fail to fulfill yours, the contract is null and void. It no longer exists, right? If you go into a restaurant and you sit down and order food, you are in a contractual relationship with the restaurant. The contractual relationship is this. We will give you food that is, just, that is nourishing or at least won't kill you. And, and then you will give us a certain amount of money that you will agree to before you order right? But if, if, if I don't, if you don't bring the food, I don't have to pay you. And if you don't, if, if I don't pay you, well, I've already eaten the food, but you know, you can, you can call the police, right? And then now, or make me wash dishes or whatever. Cause the, the nature of the relationship is contractual. We have your rent payment is contractual. Your mortgage is contractual. Your car note is contractual all throughout life. You enter into relationships that are contractual, contractual, which means that they can be breached. And when they're breached, they become null and void. You no longer have to fulfill your duties and obligations. They're great. They're great, but they do not create intimacy. Contractual really, you will not experience love because of the rent agreement that you have with your landlord. That will not bring love to your life. It might bring other things. It won't bring love. Uh, contractual relationships cannot produce intimacy. 
Contractual relationships cannot produce uh, joy, the kind of joy that is deep and resonant in your soul. None of your deep, meaningful relationships are contractual. All of your deep, meaningful relationships are what they call covenantal. A covenantal relationship is a relationship where you say, I'm going to give you everything. And the other person says, and I'm going to give you everything. And my obligation to give you everything is not conditioned upon whether or not you give me everything. Are you tracking with me? I have a, I have a covenantal relationship with my children. We have some agreements. We have some mutual promises and obligations. One of them is you do not come into the parents' room before 5 a.m. That's off. Just, just before 5 a.m., preferably not before, never, never, preferably never come into my room. But if you are going to, not before 5 a.m., that's one of our agreements. You may not, another agreement is do not take hot Cheetos, squish them into powder, and rub them into the backseat of my car. Do not do that. That's an agreement that we have, right? Do not bite your brother. That's an agreement we have, right? But if one of my children breach one of those agreements, it doesn't negate my duty to love them, feed them, honor them, squeeze them, hug them, kiss them, right? Because my, I have a covenant relationship with them. And no matter what they do, I still have to love them, right? I still will love them because that's the nature of my relationship. And that gives them peace in this relationship. That gives them strength in this relationship. That gives them freedom in this relationship because they know that no matter what happens, Father still loves them. My relationship with my wife is a covenantal relationship. The ideal is that all marriages become covenantal relationships where, you know, that's, that's why they have pledges, you know, sickness and in health for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, right? Because when he forgets to take the dishes out of the dishwasher like you, like you agreed to, that doesn't mean you can say, I expel you from the relationship, right? Uh, you, you failed in your obligation, your duty that we pre-agreed. So covenantal relationships are the only kind of relationships where you actually experience intimacy and depth and they're long lasting and ideally, spiritually, they're eternal, right? Because they are not contingent upon the other person fulfilling the obligation or expectation that you have for them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you wondered what happened to those guys. We're coming back to that, right? Here's what's going on in this relationship. They have a contractual relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar. They have a covenantal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when Nebuchadnezzar says, you better do this or I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace, they say, we're not going to do this because he can, he will. But even if he doesn't fulfill our expectations, we have a covenant relationship with him and we're not going to break that. We're going to stay after it. We're going to keep loving him and honoring him and serving him because the assumption is, the presumption is he knows more than me. He's got a bigger, bigger view. He's got a bigger perspective than I do. He understands more than me. And so when we enter into a relationship with God, God's calling us into, I said, I want you to get into a deeper relationship. We got to move beyond a contractual relationship and we got to move into a covenantal relationship where it's not about whether, all right, God, you know, if you do this X, Y, and Z for me, if you bless me and bring me the spouse of my dreams and, 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 and get me into college and do everything, then I'm going to serve you. No. It's no matter what, I'm going to serve you. In fact, Jesus said, this is the nature of the relationship. He said this in Matthew 16. I'm going to give you this scripture. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, forfeit their own soul? Before that, he says, if you love mother, father, son, husband, wife more than me, you're not worthy of me. You've got to pick up your cross. In other words, he's saying, if you want to enter into a relationship with me, I want everything. I want your whole life. Heart, soul, mind, body. It's, it's, I'm all, I want you to be all in. 
It's not, it's not contractual, it's covenantal. And in exchange, the prophet Isaiah says this. This is from the Lord. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. In other words, no matter what happens, the mountains shake, the hills fall down, the rivers run dry, you're, you're, you, you fall off the rails, you fail me, you disobey me, you rub Cheetos into the back seat of my divine car, I will not stop loving you, I'm yours, you're mine, I love you no matter what. God's saying, I want you to enter into this kind of relationship with me. Because when you enter into a divine relationship, you experience freedom like you've never had. You experience courage like you've never had. Because you know that the God of gods and the Lord of lords has got you no matter what. No matter what difficulty, no, what, no matter what fire, no matter what flame, no matter what storm comes along, you are ready to walk into it because you've got a God who is covenanted to love you no matter what. Some of you are in situations right now where you're going, I'm, I have to figure out what's the right thing to do. It'll be a lot easier for you to do the right thing if you know that God's going to walk with you as you do the right thing. It'll be a lot easier. So how do we get into this relationship with God? How do we enter more deeply into this relationship with God? You know, this passage has been on my heart for so long, and I've been ruminating and thinking about it and praying about it, and, 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 and so I've got all these kind of layers to it. Like, I don't even have time to give it all to you, but I want to give you some deep stuff because I know that you're here in the summertime, and only deep Christians come to church in the summer, and, and, and nobody else does. So, so I know you can track with me, okay? So just follow me for the next few minutes. How do we do it, God? How do, how do we get into that deep relationship with God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us through what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because the first thing they said is this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, we know that the God we serve is able. He's able. We know he's able, right? What does that mean? That means that they had confidence in his capacity. If, if, if you want to enter into a relationship with God, it has to begin with you having a sense of confidence in his power. A sense of confidence that he's the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He, he's strong. He can do it. He can do it. My wife and I were at the YMCA the other day, and I was trying to do, uh, I was, we were in the weight room, and I was trying to lift something. I wasn't sure if I could lift it, and, and, and so I needed a spotter. And so, like I said, it was just me and my wife there in the weight room. And so my wife weighs 115 pounds. She's, she's got a, she's got a, she's got a strong, she's got a strong mind. She's got a strong heart. She's got a strong will, got a strong personality, but she, it, her arms are about like, about this big around. So I wasn't confident in her capacity to, to, to deliver me if the weights got too heavy. Fortunately, another guy from our church happened to walk in right at that time. And I said, I have confidence in your capacity. So, so we entered into a covenantal relationship, right? And he, and he helped me out. We got to, if you, if you want to have this kind of, it just begins with having a basic confidence that God is who he says he is. And actually we can achieve that confidence just by the scripture says, just by looking at nature, just by looking at the skies, the skies declare his glory. We know who God is. Look around you and believe that he is who he says he is and that he is as powerful as he says he is. And most of us already are there, but that's not enough. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient because they said something else. We believe that he can, then they said, but we also believe that he will. That's a higher level of faith. That's a, that's a deeper level of relationship. That's conviction in his character. 
They were convicted of his character. Next slide. That's conviction in his character. In other words, I don't just believe that he's capable. I don't just have confidence in his capacity. I have conviction that he'll do it. That's, that's when you go, you know what? I, that moves from the abstract to the personal. So I don't just believe that God is great and he can do all things. I believe that he will do it for me. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he's in a relationship with me. I believe what Isaiah said, which is his covenant of love will never end. The peace will remain on you. I'm going to keep coming after you, though the hills shake, though the mountains crumble. I'm going to keep coming after you. I love you, right? If you want to experience the power and the freedom and the liberty of God in your life, then it, you move from confidence in his capacity to conviction in his character. His character, that he's going to do what he says he's said he's going to do, right? If my friend John that's here at the church, you know, had the capacity to lift the weight off me, but I wasn't, but I wasn't convicted of his character. He could just be like, I could lift that off of you as I'm dying on the weight bench, right? But I also was convicted of his character, so I knew that if I struggled, he could lift it off, right? So, so they were confident, and they were convicted of his character, but that wasn't what made them heroes of faith, right? What made them heroes of the faith was the third thing that they said, because they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do what I expect him to, see, I'm in a covenant relationship with God. I'm not in a contractual relationship with God. And if I don't see his hand moving in the way that I want it to move, that doesn't mean that I check out of my relationship with God. If you're a newer Christian or a younger Christian, you should just look around, find some of these older Christians that have been at this for a minute, because some of them have experienced some, some fire. They've experienced some struggle. They've experienced some pain. And they stayed with God in the midst of it. And they were, they were, they were, they were, not, only, they were not only confident in his, in his capacity. They were, they, were not only, they were not only convinced of his character. But the third one is this. They were committed to God's calling. No matter the consequences. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, look, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm doing it anyway. Because I trust in God, the God that I serve, I trust that he's going to see me through. In 1967, Martin Luther King preached a sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church five months before he died. And it was called, But If Not. I wish I could just play that. It's such a better sermon than this one. It's just amazing. But he was preaching about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, But If Not. He said, There's an if faith, and then there's a though faith. The if faith says... If God will take care of me, if everything turns out the way I want it to, if my life is prosperous, if I'm happy, if my relationship is going well, then I will serve God. That's an if faith. That's a starter faith. That's what Jacob had at the very beginning of his life. Though faith says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know he's with me anyway. Right? Like, 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 like Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I love him. No matter what happens, I am all in. I have a covenant relationship with God. If you want to get through some of the fires in your life, you got to have a though faith. you got to have a but even if he doesn't faith. you got to be willing to walk with him no matter what. And here's what happens when you do. When you walk with him no matter what, you get to see the miraculous power of his hand in your life. The, the, the reason you can't see that if you don't have it, even if he doesn't faith, is because you will not walk through the fire. Talk to me, somebody. You won't walk through the fire, and so if you don't walk through the fire, you won't know that he's with you in the fire. 
But if you have a though faith, you'll say, okay, I'll walk through the fire, even though he may not deliver me from the fire. And in the fire, you experience the power of God in your life. And you begin to be transformed by his power. That's when you have a real relationship, not a contractual relationship, a covenant relationship. Some of you know how the story ends, and i got to end this so fast. i got to end this four minutes ago. Come on. Amen. King Nebuchadnezzar is looking at the, at the, at the, at the fiery furnace because he's, he's bound the three Hebrew boys. He's got his guys. They stoked the fire. They threw them in. They threw all three of them in. But then he sees some motion inside. It says this. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Because I remember it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm pretty sure that was only three guys, right? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men. I see see four men. Yeah, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Wait, he said Most High God. Oh, wait, he just got demoted. He just got demoted. Most High, uh uh-oh. So wait a minute. Okay, somebody greater than me. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You won't even smell like fire when God walks with you through the flames. Would you stand with me today? God is calling somebody to, to, take a, to make a step, to take a step, to make a commitment, to, to move from a contractual relationship to a covenant relationship, to move from a, if he does this, then I will do that, to a God, you are my God, you, I, I, you're the breath in my lungs, I'm going to give my life to you, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to walk with you, because I want to experience you in the pain and the suffering and the fire and the storms of life, I want to experience who you really are, so I'm going to give you all of myself now come on somebody is anybody is anybody ready to take that step today i want to pray for you and i want to pray that god will just move in your heart today over the course of this next week and and you'll begin to experience his real strength his real power that he'll nudge you closer to him that you'll stop trying to bargain with him that you'll stop trying to do a dance with him and that you'll just say you know what i'm all yours and you're all mine bow your heads Father, we come before you right now so grateful for these three young Israelites and and all of the stuff that they went through and and yet their willingness, Lord, to say, even if not, even if you don't, I'm still with you. Even if you don't take me the way I think you're supposed to take me, even if you don't answer my prayer the way I want you to answer it, even if you don't do what I've asked you to do, I'm going to trust you because I know that you're bigger than me. You're the most high God. So I put my heart, my soul, my life, my line, my, my, my hopes, my fears, my dreams on the line. And I walk with you, God. And I know that you will never, ever leave me alone. Father, we pray this to your praise, to your honor, to your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, everybody. Have an awesome week. God.